to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Good morning and welcome to Masoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace where we're here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food startups. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center here in Portland. Hi, Sarah. Hi, good morning. <laughs> I feel like it's been a while since I've seen you because we had last week off. We did, we did, but... The person who was going to be on last week is going to be on another time, so let's get excited. I know. It's my good buddy, Jamie Curl. I'm so excited. Gotta love Jamie. Yeah. So she rescheduled, so we'll have her back on, everybody. Um, Well, I wanted to talk to you about, I saw on your Instagram that you went to Straightaway Cocktails. I did. And saw their production facility. Yep. They're down in North Farragut in the Big Red Building, formerly a bakery, now housing... uh, I think there's a theater upstairs on the top floor and then a couple other manufacturing spots downstairs. I've never been to their production facility. I actually it just opened. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. that's why you were there. Yeah. I had only that was been to their day. tasting room yeah. and they were doing at that time they were doing the production in mm-hmm. the back, but of course now they're growing and needed a new space. Yeah. We need to have them in so we can have a early morning cocktail. I, that's a great <laughs> idea. Let's do it. I was wondering why we hadn't had them on the show because I actually met them at the Food Innovation Center at one of the yeah. um, summer pop-ups. They're awesome folks. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was cool to see their new space, their yeah. bottling line. And what about you? You traveled to California, or right? Uh, let's see. You Since were I at was the Farmer's last... Market oh, yeah. Pros. The Farmer's Market Conference. And yeah, episode if... 74. <laughs> Sarah's... I listened to it yesterday. I was like... This woman is on fire. Oh, my gosh. If you so, want to know anything about farmers' mar- markets, go to farmermarketpros.com and listen to episode 74. Yeah, of Tent Talk. That, yeah. Um, I, my episode is up. If anybody wants to hear my presentation, it was it's kind of crazy. a funny one because I was the last presenter but of the, the day. But the funniest part was you're like, I can talk really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just, boom, you just I was let ra- it out. I didn't have a lot of time because it was the last, you know, they were running behind. I was the last presenter. Was so amazing. I was like, I can fit it all. In so did I you, you did too speed. right yeah I did yeah. I went through my whole presentation but I in like half the amount of time is what I planned for you were awesome oh, thanks so if anybody wants to listen to that you can find it online yeah uh, I do have some food news today and it's very exciting because Ooh. it's about a past guest Ooh. so Whole Foods Markets announced the winners of their supplier awards oh so they honored 32 companies um, for outstanding achievements in 2019 they just presented the awards though this last week um so ground up pdx 
our buddies that were on oh, the show. Oh, yeah, they were uh, on. Yeah, they won an award for the Pacific Northwest region. So they honored them for not only bringing these healthy, delicious nut butters to market, but also for providing um, jobs to women overcoming adversity in Portland. So congratulations, ladies. Congratulations. That's so cool. Yep. If you are a food entrepreneur and you have a press release for us to announce, you can submit those at startupradionetwork.com and we will help to spread the word about anything you would like us to talk about. And today we are joined in the studio by Renee Dunn of Amazi Foods. Hello, Renee. Hey, guys. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. It's nice to hear your lovely voice. So Renee is um, <laughs> not in the studio with us today because she's calling in from Washington, D.C., <laughs> so she couldn't unfortunately i know i wish we you wish could have was here come right in my to... dad's my dad's actually in portland right now so oh we should have just switched spots oh. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't make it work we could have had your dad come in to represent you my That's mom true. my mom is always my best representation <laughs> yeah <laughs> my dad actually does a lot for us at amazi so i'm sure he would have been a great <laughs> a great addition they our parents are always our biggest fans <laughs> True. Um, we, we like to tell our listeners how to um, follow along on your journey. So, what's the best way they can find you on social media? So, um, Amazi is Amazi Foods. That's our handle: A M A Z I F O O D S. And if you want to follow me, you're welcome to. Um, it's Renee R E N E E dot a dot done. That's my handle. Um, so yeah, there are those. Perfect. Uh, and so we know the name of your company, but can you tell us, tell the listeners about your tasty snacks that you make? Well, maybe start with the meaning of the name. I think that's really, sure. yeah, that's like so yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I can do both of those things. Yeah. So, um, Wrap it all in one. You know, one big answer. So Amazi is a word in Luganda. Um, Luganda is one of the most spoken languages in Uganda. It's spoken in the central region mostly. Um, and don't know if any of you guys know this, but Amazi Foods, um, all of our products are made in Uganda. Um, we work very closely in partnership with farmers groups and small businesses out there to not only source ethically, but also to make our products there and keep more value addition in country, as well as kind of close some of the gaps in our supply chain. Um, and so I found it appropriate to choose a word in Luganda as our name. And it's kind of um, a funny story, um, but Amazi actually means water in Luganda. Mm. Um, and the idea is that, you know, water is at the heart of growth and we're trying to grow agricultural supply chains. And so um, it's kind of that symbolic meaning, you know, you need you need Amazi to make the growth happen. Um but I also don't chose a name partially because it was one of the few Lugandan words that uh, Americans could say. <laughs> um, I did a little bit of market testing before choosing our name. And um, the name that I was initially going to go with, I got feedback uh, that it sounded like a fungus. So oh. we, <laughs> you don't want so that. Actually, that movie that. Pa Parasite won all the awards. Oh, yeah. So maybe it would be appropriate. That's 
it could have been <laughs> I think, but yeah, no. I think it was, it's it important funny. for um, new business owners to test things like that out. Like, for if sure. it, you know, when um, I took business classes in the beginning, they said you always need to test your name and your product with your target market group and yeah. see if they can say it and see if they understand it. You don't want to always be explaining over and over again what it, it is exhausting. that you're doing. Yeah. So I think a lot is a good one because it's yeah. people can can pronounce it and say it. And then also it has this cool meaning, which is perfect. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I want to just jump in here on the value added um, concept that you have. We actually here in Oregon have been focusing on value added food products for the last, well, 20 years through the Food Innovation Center. We Mm. found that a lot of our products that we were growing here in the state, we're just shipping other places and the value add was happening other places. So mm-hmm. we've been focusing on having stuff manufactured here in the state and creating jobs. And it's very similar to what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that that for me is like, you know, of course, I'm a big proponent of ethically sourcing and like having direct relationships with our farmers. But I feel like stopping at that point is not like the full level of sustainability <laughs> um, that we could work toward. So just like having people closer to p- people who are close to the resources, being able to also have opportunities to add value and meet new markets in new ways, I think is the true way to find, you know, a more sustainable way of producing and participating in this awesome international industry. Yeah. Well, we really liked that you have this mission, um, you know, about sustainability and agriculture and supply chains. But what kind of came first? Was it the mission or was it the product? Like, did you know that you were going to do these dried fruit snacks or you built something around? Yeah, so it was definitely first the mission. Um, Which is funny because sometimes I tell people, like, we're just, you know, we're a, we're really a um, social enterprise with masquerading as a snack company, um, <laughs> and it was kind of like the products came as like a way to make something happen. Um, but I will say also I had previously been very interested in like I, I don't have a background in the food industry, but I had previously been really interested in um, the growing natural product space, um, having personally like paid attention to that for my own health reasons and consumer reasons and um, had found this space very exciting. So it was cool to then, you know, marry those two interests. And what was it that you did before you jumped into the food scene? So right before this, I was managing a yoga studio. Oh, yoga (laughs) and food always goes together. We have other yoga people. Yeah. Do, and don't you do some kind I was um, investigating you on social yeah. media yesterday, but don't you do some kind of like strength training as yeah. well? <laughs> yeah, I'm a coach at a gym called Metabolic. It's M-A-D. It's a growing franchise, um, but we focus a lot on strength training and uh, conditioning. Um, so I'm like certified to coach Olympic weightlifting what? and... Wow. Yeah, it's it, that's like stuff. I just love that. So I love moving my body. It gets me out of my head, you know. So. That's good. We tend to find <laughs> that a lot of entrepreneurs have this kind of um, 
you know health drive especially if they're if they're creating like a healthy snack they there's some kind of like nutrition or yoga or some kind of background beforehand that motivates them into it but I think it's also like you kind of have to be a little bit of a badass to do that kind of thing and (laughs) and then to start a business it's already like naturally there yeah I think it's a great realm to like push yourself in other ways. Um, and like I said, for me, it's just a great way to like get out of my head cause it's so physical. Um, but I do find also like my, when I was developing the product, I knew that I wanted it to be something that I would consume, like yeah. given how I, you know, no the priorities in my lifestyle. Right. It was like at the time, actually, when I started it I was like very very strict paleo I was doing like a lot of like whole 30 type things Mm. um I'm not really like that anymore but um I will say the great thing about that was that I was looking for snacks always that you know were all whole ingredients Mm -hmm. and was finding kind of a gap where um you know they come up with a lot of amazing paleo snacks but a lot of them have like 20 different nuts and it's just ends up being very heavy and like I don't always want something so decadent Mm -hmm. um and then the other paleo option was either like fresh fruit and veggies or like dried fruit and I was like can't there be something a little bit more exciting than plain dried fruit like could we couldn't there be like something with a twist Mm -hmm. um and so when I was thinking of products that's kind of what I was thinking about when I came up with our um dried and roasted plantain chips and jackfruit chews. They're basically like all of them are just three ingredients, but they offer like a new texture or flavor that I, you know, previously hadn't. Can can you describe each one to us? Because we, we haven't tried them yet. (laughs) I know I have to, I was thinking like, this was such a quick turnaround, but I'll get you guys, (laughs) I'll get you guys some samples. Yeah. um, We'd like that. As soon as we hop off. Um, But Yeah, so our jackfruit chews are my personal favorites. Um, They taste kind of like grown-up fruit roll-ups. They're made just with jackfruit. Um, And and have you guys had jackfruit before? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm Um, not sure if I have. I feel like maybe, but I I don't know. That When I was looking at all of your things, I mean, we don't, since you're sourcing your fruit from Uganda, we don't have those fruits here at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's the great, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about jackfruit. So jackfruit, I I love, I mean, this is one of my favorite spiels to give. So Um, jackfruit is um, a, it tastes kind of like a cross between mango, pineapple, and banana. Like they had a baby and um, it is the fruit itself can grow to be up to like 80 pounds. And Mm. it's this huge kind of like alien looking fruit. You cut it open and there are these little pods um, and they're kind of sticky. It's like a huge mess to produce, Um, but they taste super sweet. They're really, really high in fiber as well. Um, And what we do is we spice them and dry them. And so you end up with this really nice chewy bite um, that has either like chili lime or ginger turmeric or ginger lime with it and um Sounds yeah they're tasty. super yummy yeah i love them <laughs> and and then we also have a line of 
plantain chips, um, but instead of frying them, we dry and roast them. And so you end up with this sort of like very hearty crunch. It's almost like it was caramelized a little bit. Um, and we offer those in like salty and chili spice flavors. Um, our most popular one is the salted olive oil. Um, so those I really like by themselves, but you can also use them as like a crunch in your salad or like dipped with hummus, uh, things like that. Mm. My um, best buddy is from Puerto Rico, and so plantains are a huge part of her life. And so every time we go over to her house, we eat them. And a lot of times they are fried, but I'll uh, have to get her some of these because I think she'll be into it because then she can have a change. Yeah. A taste of home on the go. Renee, can you kind of walk us through like bringing food from the African continent to the U.S. is a little bit complicated. (laughs) And... We, I mean, seriously, like the export and all the regulatory requirements and testing. Can you just give us like a, a quick synopsis of how you figured that all out? Yeah. Um, well, I early on, the first thing that I ever delegated was getting a customs brokerage um, because yeah. I tried. <laughs> yep. It was like a very wise investment early on because I tried to um, navigate uh, all the systems involved myself, but there's so much jargon and terminology that even though I'd be reading about the steps to do, I had no idea what they were referring to. Um, so I was just finding myself really lost in a lot of that. And I knew that I didn't want to mess it up and end up paying like thousands upon thousands of dollars for things to be on hold. Um, so for me, it was worth paying a little bit extra to get it in. Um, Generally, though, the process is, you know, both sides have FDA. So our facilities in Uganda are registered with the FDA Um, on every import that we do. We have to get phytosanitary testing and certificates. We get certificate of analysis. Do they do do the testing in Uganda? Yep, they do. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, and then we do certificate of origin, all that stuff, uh, get all the paperwork together. Um, and, um, when it comes to this side, it is, if it's all labeled properly, it usually clears within a few days. Um, earlier on before I had someone handling the logistics and customs from start all the way to delivery, I did have to do something called prior notice. Mm. which is now now they handle this. But um, basically, it was like once you had the airway bill written up, you had to go into the FDA system and basically break down what was coming in mm. um, and put in all these different product codes. Mm. Um, and I always found it very stressful <laughs> um, because I just feel like with all that paperwork and stuff, you know, whenever there's a mistake, it either holds you up or, you know, it doesn't get registered, whatever it is. So just because these systems are so antiquated. Um, but yeah, so that's something to know about when you're importing. If you're not getting somebody who's going to handle the customs all the way to the delivery point, you're probably going to have to be involved with, you know, clearing the customs before a freight forwarder picks it up. Hey, and what about, sorry, sir, packaging? Do you package there or do you ship bulk here and then package? So that's a great uh, question and very uh, relevant now because we actually just imported our first purchase order that was fully packaged there, which is very exciting. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. But up until up until just a few months ago, um, we were importing in bulk mm-hmm. and then repacking it on stateside. I see. Hmm. Yeah. 
And that shift uh, was a result of us actually opening our own production facility in Uganda. So mm -hmm. now we have much more control over the quality that's coming out. Um, and um, so not only are we getting better quality products, we're also getting it much more efficiently and at a lower cost because it's all packaged there and imported fully ready for retail. And what made you choose Uganda as a place for um, sourcing and, and now production? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think it's a combination of things. Um, my personal relationship to Uganda was definitely a big one. Um, I studied abroad and did my thesis research there. And that's actually how I came up with the idea to start Amazi. Um, but um Uganda, like many developing countries, is very resource-rich um, and highly entrepreneurial, but there's not necessarily access to markets outside of their own. And so there's not really a concept of local value addition, kind of what we were saying before. Um, and um, beyond that, I was finding that you know, in the U.S., there's so much more of a focus now on where our food is coming from, ethical sourcing, fair trade. But while that's super important, you know, if we only source ethically, the people at the resource are always going to stay at the resource level. And then there's this big gap between that and, you know, where we're making all these products, who's eating them, what people might demand. And so I wanted to bring that back to Uganda. But um, the second main reason is that Uganda has some of the most amazing fruit that I've tasted. It's one of the most fertile countries that I've been to. And um, according to a recent statistic that I read, it's the second largest producer of naturally organic produce in the world, mm. um, just like by like volume per mile kind of thing. Um, so it to me felt like, and kind of Sarah, what you were alluding to before, um, you've never had jackfruit and you know, we don't get it much here. And I knew that it was something that people would love. Um, and I wanted to introduce those flavors too. Isn't jackfruit available in cans? I think it is. In where? In cans? Yeah. yeah. You can get yeah. canned you can because I, I not, jackfruit. yeah, a guy making this stuff called tofuna fish, which was made mm -hmm. with jackfruit. He was making like a tuna salad out I of it. I think that's the only way I've ever seen it. Like yeah, not as an, an actual yeah. fruit, mm -hmm. but as a kind of like a meat replacement, um, yeah. like a, yeah. like a shredded meat or yeah. something. But I, I I've never, ha it's always with a lot of sauce and stuff, but I've yeah. never had it yeah. as like a fresh fruit. There's a lot of regulatory well, about bringing these yeah. fruits in so yeah. it probably has to go through some sort of process before it can come here oh yeah, yeah. That makes i sense. was gonna say it's funny that you mention um it as a meat replacement um because that's how most people have recently come to know jackfruit mm -hmm. and it's it's changed even since i launched the jackfruit in 2018 like early on the question i was usually getting is like what's a jackfruit and now I get questions like, is this going to taste like chicken? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, that, but I think when I saw like it, great. I was wondering if it was kind of like supposed to be like a jerky. Yeah. But it, yeah. 
it's more like a the texture fruit. the texture is almost like a jerky because okay. it's like chewy kind of tough but um it's it's sweet and i kind of love that people are now more aware of jackfruit because it really starts the conversation like if i'm demoing or talking like at an event or something it's it's great because it's a conversation starter um but i have the opportunity to introduce jackfruit in a new way and i don't think many people are eating it in this form um so it's exciting to have kind of like something that's on an uptrend, but in a very different, uh, uh, way of accessing it. Mm-hmm. And we, um, usually have, when we have guests that are here, we, we try their products and we weren't able to do that today, but, um, I was trying to find somewhere to go and get them, but I can't find you anywhere in Portland. Are you in any stores in this area? Not right now. Oh, um, we have we, to fix that. We can help I you. know. I know. Um, we are. Ex- thank you so much. Yeah. Um, we are. We actually. It's so funny that I, I just listened to Lori's episode because I was mm-hmm. just writing an email to New Season. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we launched the Sprouts Market in December, and so we're starting to make our way up the West coast and and I'm really excited about that. So Sprouts Market is a um, natural grocery chain in California, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So they actually are national. Um, They have 340 locations, um, but they're most concentrated in California. So we see the most movement there and then they have some in the Southwest and they actually even have a few in our area, but it's like, a handful like one in baltimore one in herndon one in new jersey so are you um, in all the stores i am wow that's cool congratulations it is so cool (laughs) it's very cool it's obviously a a big jump for us but it Mm -hmm. happened at the same time that we were planning this um change in our production to our own facility um and so that's all been really wonderful to have like Again, better quality product, much more uh, capacity, um, and now a more or less consistent retailer uh, to partner with as we built that up. So I'm excited about that. Are you going to Expo West? I am not this okay. year, um, but are you guys going? I will not be going either. It's not a good advertisement for them. Sorry, Expo West. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) We're sending a lot of people from Oregon to Expo West, though. Oh, I'm sure. What about Expo East? Will you go to Expo East? That is more likely. Um, We we haven't. I'm still playing with the whole trade show strategy. Um, I just went to, I just was part of my first, so, you know, I've had my business for almost nine years and I just went to my first trade show with Sarah in San Francisco. I hadn't really done it. It's a little bit overwhelming when you have a small business because it costs a lot of money to do, but then it's also like, are you ready to get those orders? You know, because like sometimes you're not, or maybe you don't (laughs) want want those bigger orders if you want to keep it smaller. So. Yeah, I don't think it's so much that for us just because we have made this change in our production. Um, so I think it would be more reasonable to go now. But previously, I've just been to like walk the floor. <laughs> in the past, I would like exchange someone like I'll work your booth for a few hours and then I go get to walk around and take meetings and stuff. So yeah, um, that makes sense. <laughs> that's a good way to it do works. it. It's a lot it's more yeah, economical. Fi- find a way in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to get scrappy. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, after the show, we'll introduce you to um, Lori from New Seasons and then John from Marketed Choice because our local natural food stores love missions like yours. So I think mm-hmm. it would be a really good, good fit. Yes. 
Yay. Thank you. Yeah. Being out here in DC has had its pros and cons. Um, like, you know, people always ask about like why you started your business where it was. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not really a food hub. that I I was going to say because I live there. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, do they even have food warehouses in DC? You know, they have like, there's in terms of the market, you know, there are people who are definitely, we do have a good network of like conscious consumers. Um, but it is kind of just like a lot of the East coast. It is very convenience oriented. Um, so while we do find people who are interested in what we're doing, we don't necessarily find natural market outlets as often. Um, and and I just know, like, based on where we get orders online and based on the fact that, like, Sprouts was the retailer that wanted us, like, we're going to find – we find much better fit, like, on the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest and stuff. So that's where I'm trying to start shifting us over now. Yeah, we're very um, health conscious and food focused over here, I think. Yeah. Um, yes. So it would be, be a good fit for your true. product. Yeah. We're um, going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be back to talk about some of your production. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences, because food brings people together. Okay, and we are back from our break. Uh, We wanted to talk a little bit um, about Uganda and the production there. One thing I really liked about your website is that you have a little feature section of your farmers that you source from. Yeah. Um, So how do you meet your farmers? How did you find them? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so there are a few different ways, um, but generally um, the first, when we first started, um, I don't think I talked about this much, but when we first started, um, I went out there and had no idea where to start or how to start. And I ended up finding a company that was making dried fruit for export. And they were already fair trade certified and organic certified. So I essentially worked out with them what was a glorified like co-packer arrangement. Um, You know, that kind of relationship doesn't exist too much in Uganda. Um, But I basically was like, okay, I want to create these specialty products and I want to source directly and you guys will kind of help me make the products. So I went with them. They had a team that was dedicated toward what they call extension services. Um, those are trained by like um, um, what they call NOGAMU. It's an acronym, but it's basically like the national um, organic certifying body um, or resource, I suppose. And they would essentially um, no kind of regions of the country where there was a high concentration of farmers growing certain fruits and um, would, you know, connect us with kind of the heads of these co-ops or um, if they weren't yet organized into groups, we would just go in and talk a bit about how farmers might organize in order to be able to work with us. Um, And now we actually have um, two team members that help us Um, out in the field that, you know, again, do sort of that extension services work where they will um, work 
they live closer usually to the farming communities and they're the ones who like will go in more regularly, check up on their farms, you know, um, and organize the meetings for us when we are there. Um, but it definitely has helps to have, uh, people in the field, um, to help navigate that initially. Um, but we, I find the farmer relations as a very, uh, um, it's, it's a conversation. <laughs> I think people forget that, you know, we just see in, on fair trade packages, like pictures of happy farmers. And, you know, that's, that's all we think about, but it's just like any other business relationship or any other relationship really. And so for me, it's like, it's always a conversation of what are your goals? What are our goals? What are your needs? What are our needs? How can we come together to make this a sustainable partnership? Um, and I found that to be one of the most rewarding parts of what I do, but also one of the most challenging. Um, can you yeah. tell us um, about a recent trip to Uganda? What did it? What was it like? How did you sure. get there? <laughs> on a plane, a boat, yeah, a on train? a plane, on a plane. Um, I it's a very long journey. I usually fly through Brussels. Mm. Um, so it's like 24 hours usually of traveling. Um, and I actually just got back a couple weeks ago. I was there in January. Um, and this trip was pretty incredible because it was the first one that I saw the factory like fully up and running and, um, had a team of 30 working there, which is, really cool and um i spent some of the time going out into the field so i met with two different farming communities that are newer we're looking to add them to our sourcing network um and those meetings were really like i said just an opportunity to like they show us around some of their land we talk about some of our quality standards we talk about how the supply chain works um so just as a tangent a little bit but um you know, when people talk about transparency, for me, that's not just about so that you guys know who the farmers are. For me, it's also so the farmers know how uh, how the end customer gets their product and like at what price and how what are all the steps in between. So that when we're giving them a price or when we're giving them a quantity, they understand where it's coming from. And as opposed to it feeling arbitrary or as opposed to them um, you know, saying that sometimes because I'm clearly a Westerner, they'll be like, <laughs> like I was actually at a farmer's meeting this past time and one guy gets up and he goes, oh, so since you're here, can we sell it to you instead of at 1,000 shillings? We'll send it as 2,000. And I was like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not how that works. Um, you know, there are all these steps in between that, you know, if you end up raising the price to me, or raising the price now, it's not actually me that gets squeezed. It's your friends, your partners in Uganda who then have to sell it to me at X price. So that's, um, it's, it's a lot of breaking that stuff down. Um, and then also we spent a lot of time with the production team. Um, they were producing when I was there, their first to scale purchase order. So just really hopping on the line, like helping peel and slice jackfruit uh, and just getting to know the team a little bit better. And so do you have someone that's there that, that manages the manufacturing? Yeah, mm -hmm. we have. Um, so the structure of the factory is it's a partnership. It's actually majority Ugandan owned. Mm -hmm. um, and so that team there is responsible 
for the production. Like they're their own entity. Um, um, and the production management team is like really kick ass. Um, there, there's, um, two kind of main production managers, a CEO as well, but, and, and, um, they're in their mid to late twenties. They're super driven. They, uh, one of them studied food science. The other one has like a business background and together they like work really well with the teams and like are very quick to adjust their systems. And I've just been really impressed with how quickly, uh, they catch on and team build. Yeah. And how long did it take for you to build this whole thing? Because I I didn't see when you started. Has it? It's been a journey. Yeah. Um, I first, first, first went over to Uganda to start working on this, like no product or anything in April of 2016. So it's almost four years since like I dipped my toe into it. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of a timeline, um, I spent the first, like, basically till the end of 2016, kind of working on, like, an initial recipe and coming up with some initial branding. Um, In 2017 is when I sort of started testing the market. So we had, like, four flavors of plantain chips that honestly were not good. (laughs) I definitely have adjusted the recipes since then. Um, But we sold them in, like, craft bags with stickers on them and, like, went into a bunch of little local stores in Maryland and Philly. Um, And then as we started to refine that and get more feedback, and then we did focus groups to come up with our new branding in May, 2018 is when we kind of like launched our look as you see it now. Um, And to me, that's kind of our start date. Um, But we've been uh, refining and refining as we go, for sure. Well, we do like to um, talk about packaging a little bit because it's a big part of of selling a product, especially when you start to wholesale. It has to, you know, look a certain way. But I think a lot of people start with craft bags or um, even when I started my business at first I was as I was figuring it all out and ordering labels and things like that I was just doing it in canning jars that I put like a sticker on um, because it's kind of a good way to start so um, did someone suggest that to you for your packaging to start with craft bags or is it just what you could find easily so I kind of just I think it was a combination it was more so I wanted it to look like a natural product um and i thought the craft look was great i also didn't know much about bag printing so again i thought like printing labels would be easier um i I can't say that i remember exactly how i decided on the pouch look but i had a friend come up with our initial graphic design and logo and on the stickers um and as and our initial look was like very elegant like craft packed, handmade, you know, it had a nice look to it, but one of the main prompts for me to kind of rebrand it was that, you know, we're playing in the snack category and to look like I got feedback sometimes that it looks so nice. They like wanted to put it on the shelf at home, you know, like I don't want, you want a snack to move off the shelf. You want it to pop. You want people to grab and go. You don't want people to think about it for a long time and then like decide, you know, like appreciate it, so to speak. So, um, yeah, you want them to to eat it and come back for more. (laughs) That's a good strategy. 
so I did a few focus groups before we did our final new designs, just getting a sense of like what I thought the priorities of our consumers were in terms of like which, you know, we invested in a couple certifications, for example, like paleo and vegan um, certifications. So just trying to get a sense of like which ones people were responding to um, and, you know, what aspects of other packaging they liked. Um, and what we what ended do up- you think people respond to? So I think people are fickle. <laughs> um, but <laughs> That's the <laughs> um, truth. Well, what, what I was finding was most interesting in the focus groups, and this is kind of why, like, you don't see a fair trade seal on our package yet. It's something that I'd like to work toward, but part of why I didn't, like, push so much to get it done right away, uh, it's, like, a huge investment, as you guys probably know, but um, I was just finding that I was bringing, the way I structured my focus group was, A, they didn't know that I was the owner of the brand, mm-hmm. um, and I took like eight different, eight or nine different products that I thought were like more or less competitors. Um, And I put everything into a pile. We just had people pass them around and like share their impressions of the call outs on the bags and stuff. And I remember there was like a freeze dried banana that was fair trade certified. They had all these certifications, like very impressive line of like organic cert, fair trade cert, all this stuff, upcycling, whatever. But when the people were reading the labels on the back and like the ingredient lists and they were like fair trade TM, like, what does that even mean? I don't trust that. Like I like, that's probably just the verbiage. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you think this trademark seal that someone paid thousands of dollars for is just verbiage? Like, yeah. And, And they were more inclined to trust the health related claims like okay this is a vegan product this is a gluten-free product this is a paleo product you know like so for me I was like I if I can at least convey our story of our sourcing on the packaging for now maybe that's worth more than paying for the seal at this point in time Mm. and you know I don't think that's necessarily true in the long run or like with larger retailers like I know that you know we've been in conversation with like Whole Foods for example and I know that like having the fair trade cert for them would help get us into certain programs you know things like that so I'm, I'm not saying like long game that's optimal but I do think that like there's so much skepticism in consumers and they're also just not not most are not sure of like what is an actual certification and what isn't and Mm. so as a small brand who only has so much real estate on their bag and so many dollars in the bank for me it was like as long as i know that we're upholding our standards and it can convey them um let's spend money instead on signaling like the health of our product how do you Um, answer the carbon footprint question yeah um I guess my answer right now is that we, our environmental impact is around our sourcing standards. Like we only source organically grown products, but you know, we import via air freight. I can't say that, you know, that's particularly um, carbon neutral at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, we are moving toward a lot of steps on our production to, um, make uh, progress toward that, one of which is we're about to switch packaging suppliers to recyclable packaging. We're also developing a much better composting system at our facility 
and um, and yeah, those are just some examples. But have you, I do think that we. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Have you thought about selling the product in Uganda? Yes, um, we have done that too. Or we've sold seconds, so like anything that's like slightly too hard or slightly too chewy, because the American palate is like much more specific um we sell those locally on the market and then our next step is to develop a locally facing brand it's just that our current packaging probably wouldn't land with the ugandan market so we just have to uh, make those adjustments but that is certainly a goal of ours too yeah i think it's a good goal a lot of these countries aren't producing the products for themselves. And even though you're Mm -hmm. adding value there, you're still not supplying the local economy with actual good food. And what happens is you see the food that's for sale on the street and it's the lower quality food. And so it's really difficult to feed people with food that isn't good. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think that also like Uganda is a great example of this, but it's happening a lot of places. Yeah, you um, go in the grocery you know, store and there's like a million types of soda pop and packaged <laughs> hot dogs and yeah. a whole row of eggs and a that's lot of it. processed foods. And yeah. maybe bread. Yeah. And if you're yeah. lucky, some cheese and stuff like that, maybe in cans. Yeah. I was going to say that the local quality of like what people are eating, and there's like a growing middle class too, is really starting to, I've noticed it so much over the past eight years or so that I've been going back and forth. Um, But it's, it's amazing to see like, and this is to your point, like previously, I think so many people would associate quality with imported product as opposed to something that they could make locally. Um, as having high quality. So starting to shift those standards. And then also, um, like I said before, people are getting more curious and more exposed to better quality products um, from other places. And I think that there definitely would be a market for what we're making. So I am excited to start to offer that as well. But that's actually something that we were talking about this past trip too. Yeah. Well, we um, don't have too much time yet, and we have a couple things I want to make sure to touch on. So one is we like to send people directly to you to buy um, your products. Can can they order them on your website? Yeah, absolutely. Is that the Amasifoods.com. best? The best way. And, and if we yeah. have anybody that's listening in your local area, do you sell them anywhere? Like, do you do any, like, farmer's markets or events or anything? Yeah. Yeah, we're at a number of, like, smaller locations um, in the area. We do community events here and there. Like, we have a bunch coming up with outdoor voices and stuff. But in terms of where they can regularly find us, um, we're in Glen's Garden Market, Shop Made in D.C., um, the tavern, a number of sort of like local and natural stores in the area. And we have a list of all of them on our website. Oh, perfect. So people can yeah. go to your website and find where to find you there, or they can buy it yeah. online. And do you have any advice for brand new businesses that are thinking about entering the marketplace? <laughs> um, I think, <laughs> I think the less, you know, sometimes the better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's true, isn't it? <laughs> I've learned everything as I've gone, and I can't say it's necessarily been the speediest, most smooth path, but I also know that I could research and find myself in research paralysis till I'm blue in the face. 
Um, and I have to constantly, constantly remind myself like at every phase to just like start doing it. Um, because otherwise things never move forward. And I think if I knew about a lot of the challenges in advance, I don't think I would have ever tried. Um, so that's my, my two cents. I think that's good advice. Sometimes people stand in their own way a little bit and you just have to do it and don't overthink it. it. Just go for it. Yeah. And, and it's never, ever going to be perfect. And there's always going to be things to do better. And you don't really know until you get there. I mean, it's different for someone who's on their third huge company, you know, like they've been in CBG for 20 years and they're just knocking it out. (laughs) But like for most of us, it's like, you never know the challenge until it hits. Um, you only know what you know. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my mantra and I try to be as agile as I can. Um, though sometimes it's easier than others given that our supply chain is thousands of miles (laughs) away. Yeah. Well, Renee, it was great to have you on the show today and hear your story. And we'll definitely check out your products and everybody can find those at Amazi Foods. So thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Thank I can't you guys. wait to try. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll, I'll email you right after this to get the shipping address. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you <laughs> Thank so you much. Thank you, guys. We record Masoni and Marshall inside of Ned Space. You can listen live Friday mornings at 9 a.m. or you can catch up on past shows on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show or submit press releases, you can go to startupradionetwork.com and we will be here next week. Yeah. Bye for now. Bye. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences. Because food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.